0: The Seahawks have made some big moves this offseason, revamping their defensive line from front to back, but have they done enough heading into the second phase of their offseason program? I'll be checking out the depth chart and where things stand in the trenches on defense on our Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team. Every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, the host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team. Every day, A special thanks as always to all the 12s out there, whether you're on the islands with me here in Hawaii or you're overseas listening in France, we greatly appreciate each and every one of you making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Going to be tackling your mailbag questions, extended mailbag, tons of questions about the draft, free agency, where things stand, depth chart wise, I'll be answering as many of those as possible on today's show and taking a look at Seattle's current defensive line situation coming out of a busy three-day 2023 NFL draft. So without further ado, let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on our Thursday edition of Locked on Seahawks. If there's one thing that Seattle has accomplished this offseason, they have completely retooled their defensive line, and that was the clear mission coming out of their wildcard loss to the San Francisco 49ers back in mid-January. Carroll made it clear they needed to become more dynamic up front. They've talked Multiple times, he and John Schneider about getting this line to be tougher, more physical, and with good reason. They ranked 30th in the NFL in rushing defense, and a big part of that was the struggles in the interior defensive line. So they've overturned the entire group. Al Woods, Quentin Jefferson, as well as Puna Ford are now all playing in the AFC East. Seattle didn't bring back any of those players, and Shelby Harris was also released. He's currently unsigned on the free agent market and with those players gone Draymond jones and jaren reed come in in free agency in seattle most recently drafted cameron young and mike morris in the middle rounds early on day three to add some depth to the defensive end and the nose tackle position overall you got to like the direction that the Seahawks are going with this defensive line because they did spend a lot of money on a player in Draymond Jones who has been a very productive pass rusher his first four NFL seasons in Denver. Jaron Reed has a long track record of being a quality defensive tackle, even if last year was not one of his stronger seasons in Green Bay. And the two rookies have intrigue for different reasons. Cameron Young was an excellent run defender in the middle of Mississippi State's defense. Difficult guy to move heavy hands at 305 pounds. And Mike Moore is a 295. He played in the 280s last year for Michigan. So this is a guy that's used to playing at a bigger size, maybe not the most athletic guy, but his length, his burst as a 280, 290-pound defender and his ability to win as a power rusher could make him a real handful for opponents playing at the defensive end position in a 3-4 scheme. With all this being said, it still feels like this is maybe Seattle's biggest concern still on the roster. Draymond Jones and Jaron Reed are probably going to be your starters. Cameron Young, he might be the starter at nose right now. Brian Monet is still coming back from a torn ACL and additional knee damage that had to be cleaned up. With Woods now in New York, with Quentin Jefferson and Puna Ford being in Buffalo, They don't have any other nose tackles currently on the roster. You like the group they've got here with the defensive end position. Draymond Jones, Jaron Reed, Mike Morris, that feels like a trio there. And you have Miles Adams coming back as well. Those guys as a quartet could be pretty effective playing those defensive end positions in this scheme. But I still look at the middle. There's not enough beef on this defensive line and they don't have the financial wherewithal right now. As John Schneider pointed out last week, they felt good about where they were at, getting this rookie contracts or getting this rookie class signed, getting their contracts taken care of. But at the same time, they don't have wiggle room. That's why somebody like Al Woods or Puna Ford was not going to come back. They don't have the money right now to pay those players. And Shelby Harris certainly, it's an option if he is still on the market down the line maybe the Seahawks could bring him back but again the money is not there for the Seattle Seahawks to add a quality veteran right now and I would expect that Shelby Harris is going to be playing for a lot less than what he was scheduled to play for this year when the Seahawks cut him but it doesn't matter they just don't have very much wiggle room right now. And certainly there's still time for them to make moves to try to open up cap space, whether that means restructuring a contract. John Schneider has been against that for most of his time in Seattle. There's been a few exceptions where he has used restructures to open up cap space, but he is not a fan of kicking cap hits down the road. So I would not anticipate they're going to go that direction Maybe they could do an extension for a Nwosu or Noah Fant to try to open up some cap space that they can sign a defensive tackle or two to continue uh, refurbishing this defensive line. But, but they're going to have to do something because right now they just don't have the cap flexibility even to sign somebody like Shelby Harris on a cost-saving move. They don't have the money to even do that. They're not pinching pennies even at this point. So I think that this group has gotten a lot better with what Seattle did in the draft Young certainly going to be a fun one to watch at the nose tackle position. You watch the tape against SEC competition. You can see why the Seahawks were enamored by him early on day three. Even if there is not much pass rushing production to speak of, he's going to check off that run defense box that they badly need in the middle. And I think Mike Morris has immense upside playing inside, a lot more than if they would have kept him as a stand-up rusher on the outside, where he, quite frankly, doesn't have the athleticism to be much of a problem in the NFL. Moving him inside, though, he's going to be a real problem for guards, maybe even centers, depending how big he ends up being. This is a guy that could certainly be in the 300-plus pound range playing for the Seahawks in their defensive line, still be very effective and be an athletic interior rusher. They just don't have enough bodies in the middle right now and there's just there's no money. They don't have the financial wherewithal to be able to add to this group. So I still look at this as the most glaring weakness on Seattle's roster heading towards the season. And they've been so good over the years at adding veterans in May and even June that can contribute to the defensive line. But they've had some cap space to work with in those instances. And right now, they don't. Again, there's plenty of time for John Schneider to make some moves in order to – open up a little bit of room so that they can sign a veteran, but you're going to see a lot of these players come off of the free agent market in the next few days. We've already seen Puna Ford and Al Wood sign in the last 48 hours after not having a ton of interest before the draft. Now the teams don't have to worry about comp pick compensation there's going to be a lot more of these guys getting signed by teams, especially with them now knowing that they need extra defensive line depth coming out of the drafts. Seattle's going to have to get something done soon if they want to be able to sign a veteran to add to this football team and further shore up their defensive line. I like the starting group. I like the upside of the rookies. It just feels like it is still a – very incomplete group that needs some more mass. They need some more bigger-bodied guys that can play in the interior in the rugged NFC West, and so we'll see what they end up doing here, but right now that seems like the most pressing concern, even coming out of the draft, not quite enough done to necessarily feel comfortable, especially if are losing three of your top defensive linemen from the season before, and Shelby Harris still being out there they need to add some more to this group somehow before training camp opens at the end of July. Up next, I'm going to be tackling your mailbag questions. If you are listening to the stream live, make sure to submit some questions in the live chat. I'll try to look through there and see if there's some questions I can answer, but tons of them off of Twitter and other social media outlets as well. I'll get to those coming up next year on our Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious snack but don't want all the sugar and calories, then you need to try the best tasting protein bar ever. That's the Built Bar, 100% real chocolate. That's right, 100% real chocolate. And it comes in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie. That's my personal favorite as well as cookies and cream. I'm not sure how Built Bar does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar and have amazing macros at the same time. 130 calories, four grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't have to wait for a box to get shipped to you. For years, we've been talking about ordering built bars at built.com, but now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club while getting your specialty flavors at built.com. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today, walk over to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of built bars. You can get a four bar box. Of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puff. And if you're at a Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box with other hit flavors such as brownie batter puff and churro puff, you can thank me later. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Special thanks to all the 12s, as always for taking the time to make Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. For our everydayers out there, Nick Lee and Dallas Cooper will be taking the torch tomorrow, and they'll be breaking down where Derek Hall, Seattle's first second-round pick, fits on defense for the Seahawks, and maybe even take a look at Zach Charbonnet as well as we continue to break down in-depth each and every one of Seattle's 10 draft picks. Make sure you don't miss the Blue Friday episode with Nick and Dallas coming up tomorrow. Let's get to your mailbag questions. Again, if you're listening on the live stream, I'm going to have the live chat on the side and may pick a few of those questions to answer as well. Going to be tackling a bunch of draft, free agency, and schedule-related questions on today's show. So let's get to it. Our first question today coming from Dakota Essery tweets, what undrafted signing has the possibility to make sizable contributions to the Seahawks this upcoming season. So, Rob and I actually talked a little bit the last few days about a few players that jumped out to us on reported signings and that's the key here. The Seahawks have yet to come out with an official listing of the free agents that they signed from the undrafted ranks. And so, until that has happened, we don't know any of these players are actually going to be at their rookie minicamp. Sometimes these contracts get reported and then they end up signing with another team that is common this time of year. So until we have those reported signings, this needs to be taken with a grain of salt. But I talked about it yesterday. Jonah Tavai from San Diego State is a player. I just talked about the need on the defensive line. They just need depth at that position. And, Tavai, there's a lot of things that stand out as red flags when you look at the size and the athleticism. He has 29-inch arms, extremely short, sawed-off arms. Teams generally don't want defensive linemen to have that short of arms. He also is quite slow at 295 pounds, ran a 5.06 40-yard dash. So he's not a guy that's going to impress you with his athleticism as a tester. He isn't going to be winning any arm-length contests. But he's a darn good football player. Twenty-eight tackles for loss last two years for San Diego State. Nineteen sacks as well. He has a relentless motor, and he just plays faster than he does in testing on the field. A guy that can move around the line some, and he's so quick with his hands that he offsets the fact that he doesn't have the ideal length to play inside. So I think Tavai is a name to watch, and Matt Landers coming from Arkansas just because he is a four-three-seven guy speed-wise. At six foot four, over 200 pounds, he has that size athleticism combo that not many players have coming into the league. And he averaged almost 20 yards per reception in Arkansas. He is not a refined route runner at all, not a guy that has typically been able to do a lot of damage in the short to intermediate game. He's been a one trick pony, but he is very good at that one trick. And players that can win vertically, especially in the Seahawks offense, have tended to have quite a bit of success. And so he is a name on offense that I'm going to be keeping a close eye on. I would say Tavai and Landers right now are two that I'm really keeping – Tabs on. And Robert Cooper, the nose tackle. Again, they need beef in the middle of the line. Two years ago, he probably would have been drafted. He played most of last year with an injury that ended up needing surgery after the year. So didn't have a great final season at Florida State. But he is a big-bodied guy, difficult to move, that had some surprising success rushing the passer as well earlier in his career at Florida State. So those would be some names that jump out to me early here. We'll see who ends up actually signing with the team once the Seahawks announce that, and we'll have more time to look at those players, especially after we watch them at rookie mini camp. Next question here, we're going to be dishing in some questions coming from YouTube. This one coming from Power Gold. What expectation do you have from Geno Smith this season? I, You know, I think Geno Smith is just scratching the surface of his potential. And I know that some people will be scoffing at that thinking he's 32 going on 33. But Geno did not play much for seven years. He is a young 32-year-old quarterback. This will be the first time in his entire NFL career that he is going to be playing for the same play caller with the same weapons for a second straight season as a starter. And so I think there's still plenty of untapped upside for him, especially now adding Jackson Smith and Jigba to the full couple good pass, catching running backs to go with Ken Walker the 3rd You're hoping the offensive line gets an upgrade, whether it's Evan Brown or Oluwotimi at center whether it's Phil Haynes, Anthony Bradford, or right guard. You made some investments there in the draft with some experienced players coming from Power Five conferences. So it feels like if there was a big winner in this draft on Seattle's roster, it was Geno Smith. They didn't pick a future franchise quarterback early on in the first round, and they got all these weapons and pass protectors to put in front of him. So I feel like that you know, last year is just scratching the surface. I could see him well above 30 passing touchdowns this year as long as he stays healthy, completing around 70% of his passes. I mean, last year, I think, it is not going to be a fluke with the players that they've got around him and what they've done with the offensive line as well i think fans should be really excited about what he is going to bring to the equation daniel humberg tweets could the zach charbonnet pick have been intended to make him the lead back so ken walker the third has more time to rest his legs and get even more explosive i'm just going to quickly answer this no i actually talked about this on the softy show yesterday on kjr this is not a move that is being made to find a starting running back necessarily. I think Pete Carroll loves to have two starter caliber backs though. And that's what this gives them. Ken Walker, the third, they're not going to have to rely on him to run the ball 20 to 25 times every single game because they'll be able to lean on Zach Charbonnet, who's more of a between-the-tackles-downhill runner. So I this I see this being probably a 65% workload for Ken Walker third. I still think he's going to be your starter. He's still going to be the bell cow, so to speak. But this gives you the flexibility now to have another guy that can give you 10 to 15 carries a game. And if you have to use him more than that, Charbonnet has proven that he can be a 20-plus carry a game back. And that's why you invest a second round pick in him. And he's also going to give you the balance potentially as a third down back as Kenny McIntosh could do as well. So I don't think this is an indictment on Ken Walker III, the runner-up for Offensive Rookie of the Year. He's going to be the starter for the Seahawks. But Charbonnet is going to have a big role. They want to have multiple running backs that can have significant roles in this offense. And that's what Charbonnet is going to give them with a little different skill set coming in the second round. Coming from Open Your Eyes, I heard a podcaster say Timi reminds him of Blythe because he gives up ground too easily. Did you notice this on his tape? You know, there were instances watching Michigan and also going back to the Virginia tape as well before he transferred. There have been some instances where I've seen really powerful defensive tackles able to drive Oluatimi back a little bit, but I don't see a comparison between these two guys. I think Oluatimi has got a lot more sand in his pants, so to speak. He is going to knock guys off the ball more frequently, maybe not a a mauler by any means, but he has the ability to win with power and create some separation at the line of scrimmage, and he wins the leverage battle as well. So this is not a shot at Austin Blight. There were some things Austin Blight did well that I think went under the radar, but he was not a guy that was going to win with physicality and strength. Oh, was able to do that quite a bit at Michigan. So, no, I, I don't necessarily see that. Everybody's got their own eyes to see things differently. But I've seen a guy that certainly can win with power to line scrimmage. And I think he's a solid zone blocking center as well. He's been in every scheme. He's played against every scheme, over 3,500 college snaps. So I see him being a guy that's going to be able to provide that power run game a little bit more for Seattle in terms of blocking up front than what they had last year from Austin Blythe playing the pivot position. Chuck Warner tweets, when are the Hawks going to have a scary fast return game? It's been pretty lean lately. Do you remember Brian Walters? I do remember Brian Walters, and that's been a long time ago, but you know, it's interesting because Godwin Buque was so good in the kick return game late last season, and he still has not been re-signed. I'm wondering if the Seahawks are going to go back down that road just because of what he brought their team on special teams. That being said, they have also drafted several guys. that have special teams backgrounds last week, so they may be ready to turn the page again and hope one of those guys is going to contribute. And maybe this is where D. Eskridge ends up now making his mark when healthy because he's not going to be your number three receiver maybe they can use him more as a kick and punt return specialist and you saw some glimpses of that a little bit last year before unfortunately he suffered another injury so if you can keep him healthy it feels like the Seahawks want to give Eskridge that chance to be able to contribute there so I would agree with you this has been a lean area for the Seahawks until late last season that was a bright spot late in the year with. It would bugay returning kicks but it'd be nice to see them have a little bit more explosiveness there and maybe one of these incoming draft picks or d escridge can end up filling that void so that they have an upgrade in that area of their special teams paca 302 if seattle can create some cap space what free agent behind besides shelby harris could help the defensive line So I don't have a list in front of me necessarily of all the free agents that are out there on the market. I know that Justin Ellis is still available. That might be a possibility, but it's a pretty barren wasteland. I think Seattle was hoping that they could find a way to bring back Al Woods or bring back Puna Ford, and the finances did not match up. And that's why I talked about in the first segment that I still view this as a concern, and I don't know necessarily that they have a lot of options to try to – upgrade that unit because there's not a lot of quality free agents that are still out there on the market. There's a few names that you can look at, but generally speaking, it feels like right now what's there, if they aren't going to bring back Shelby Harris or find a way to work that out, or look at somebody like Justin Ellis, there's just not a lot of options on the free agent market right now to consider if you're the Seahawks. So not trying to sound like a downer here, but there's just not a lot of options for Seattle at the present moment, especially after seeing Al Woods go to the Jets and Puna Ford sign with the Buffalo Bills. Rob Roberts tweets, second-guessing time. If you had one Seahawk pick to do over, who would you have chosen? So this is a trivial question in the sense that you got to give all these guys a chance to see what they can do on the field. But the one player Seattle had chances to draft three or four times that they didn't do that. I'm just wondering if it could backfire onto them at a, at from Northwestern, a player that they had a visit with top 30 visit. Everything that I've been told was that they loved the visit that they had with him. He can play end, he can play defensive tackle. He can play standing up off edge eight, phenomenal athlete at his size. I was just starting to wonder if there were some medical red flags that were raised for him to fall to the fourth round. That's a guy that I could see the Seahawks a few years from now, like, man, we should have taken that chance. I thought the Indianapolis Colts had a fantastic draft and he happened to be one of the players they got in the fourth round. So that would be one that maybe I would second guess on a little bit, especially looking at the state of the defensive line. But the Seahawks are hoping the two defensive tackles that they ended up picking this draft Are going to prove that they didn't need to make any of those other moves we'll have to wait and see that's one name that jumps out to me and if keanu benton would have been there for them maybe that's a possibility as well but they opted to go different directions question here from let's see if there's one that i have not touched on yet Hainage Sports and Gaming, do you see Anthony Bradford starting this season? If I had to make an early prediction right now, I think Phil Haines is going to start the year at right guard. I think the money they invested in him, I think he's a better pass protector at this stage. That would be my one concern when it comes to Anthony Bradford. I love the run blocking ability, and he tested so well. It doesn't show up on his film, though, especially in pass protection. I don't see a guy that's fleet of foot that can mirror really well. When he gets outside of the phone booth, when he's in a phone booth, good luck getting by him because he's a massive human being, really strong. He gets his hands on you. It's game over. But if he has to slide and move laterally, I don't see the testing translate to his play. That doesn't mean it can't change in the NFL. There's been examples of that where guys have really been able to develop technique-wise, and then their athleticism shows up a lot more. But I just don't know that I see him starting on day one. I could see him starting at some point this year, but I think that Phil Haynes, because of the experience he's gained the last couple of years, fact, Seattle did bring him back on a one-year $4 million deal. I think they still think there's a chance he could be a long-term guy. Bradford is that hedge you get in the fourth round, but I think Phil Haynes is going to start for him in week one, and that's just based off now. My opinion could change watching mini camps and stuff, training camp. We'll see what happens, but right now my prediction would be Phil Haynes on that front. Verone tweets, do you guys see Olu beating out Evan Brown for the center job, or do the Hawks opt for NFL experience instead? So, again, this is without seeing anybody on the field together. I'm a big fan of Evan Brown, what I've seen on his – Film at center, but I'm going to go the different direction here. Oluwatimi is a player that I did not think was going to fall to the fifth round. I had a much higher draft grade on him than that. And I just think the experience that he's had, especially playing at Michigan last year in a pro-style offense, the line calls, he can do run and pass game. This is not your ordinary rookie in that sense. He should be able to come in and immediately command the huddle at center. I think Evan Brown ends up being a really good swing guy that can play both guard positions and as your backup center. They're not paying him a ton of money this year. Not that he couldn't win the job, but I'm just more confident that Teamy, oh, with the experience and the all-around game that he brings to the table, his leadership skills – I think he is going to win that starting job in the middle of Seattle's offensive line. And then Bradford could eventually be your starter right guard. You could have a very young offensive line with high upside for the Seattle Seahawks when you include the two tackles going into their second years in Charles Cross and Abe Lucas. But I think Oluwatimi is going to win that job. That's my early prediction now. Again, this is subject to change when I see in the field, but that's just based on my observations to this point. Questions on YouTube here. Another one coming from Power Gold. Any upcoming Seahawks game you are excited for this season, we play the NFC East and the AFC North. So, honestly, when you're looking at the road games, I'm really excited to see where Seattle stacks up against the Cincinnati Bengals when we're looking at those AFC North battles. Because the Bengals with Joe Burrow and all the talent they have, I thought Cincinnati did a good job in the draft, adding some quality pieces on offense and defense as well. I just think that's a – Really good team that's going to be in contention for years to come with Joe Burrow under center. That's going to be a tough road game for Seattle. They're also going to have to play a Baltimore, too, who just re-signed Lamar Jackson. And they made some interesting picks in the draft as well. So I think those AFC North games are always fun. And that division is really talented. Cleveland's got a lot of talent if they can put it together together. Seattle's going to be playing them at home. But I, I think those AFC North games are going to be really exciting to watch. And it'll be a nice barometer to see where the Seahawks stack up with the rest of the NFL. Jesse on Instagram, do you see the selections of Cam Young and Mike Morris being indicators the Seahawks will go back to their old scheme? So I know this, this has been stemming from Richard Sherman's podcast to do with Quandre Diggs, and both of them made it, they insinuated that Seattle was going to go back to what they ran defensively before last season. I think that this is one of those cases where you're going to see more leaning on some of those old concepts, but I don't think they're going to completely scrap that hybrid three, four they were trying to run last season. I don't think they're just going to completely turn the wagon around. I think there's going to be more emphasis on mixing in some of the stuff they've done in the past, a true hybrid defense. But I do think personnel-wise, Cameron Young is better suited to be shading the A-gap as a one-tech rather than head-up being 305 pounds than, say, a 330, 340-pound guy like Al Woods or Brian Monet. And I think that Morris is a player that letting him use his athleticism and his disruptive penetrating ability as an attacking, power-stepping defensive end that plays three-tech role more than four-eye I think that that makes sense too. And so I don't want to delve too deep into the woods with all that stuff, but I do think that there's going to be some changes back to what they've done in the past, but I just, I don't expect this suddenly. Hey, we're giving up on all this stuff. We're abandoning all this stuff. They've still got really good personnel to be able to run a three, four system. I just anticipate some of the alignments that we're going to see up front are going to be used a little bit differently, especially with the way that they got ran on last year. That's got to be something that they adjust especially with the personnel they've got in the interior of their defensive line. Last question here coming from Hawk Apocalypse now. Are the Seahawks going to carry four running backs to the active roster or the usual five? Right now, I would be leaning towards them having five guys in the roster just because Kenny McIntosh, I think, is going to be used some as a receiver. I think they're going to slide him out. He's going to occasionally move out of the slot. What they tried to do with C.J. ProSize when he was healthy, not quite the same athlete, but incredibly soft hands, really good route runner. You can move him all over. Again, I think he's a great value pick in the seventh round. You've got Charbonnet Walker, D.J. Dallas with his special team's ability. He's flashed at times on offense. Those four guys are going to be there. And I guess if you want to count Nick Ballore being a fullback on the roster, that would put him at five. But they're going to be guaranteed to have those other four guys as long as they stay healthy. And then Nick Ballore being the fullback that once in a blue moon plays in the backfield, that gives them a lot of flexibility there. So I guess you could say this is a question that I'm kind of – answering around the bush a little bit. But they were going to have those four running backs, and if you count Nick Ballore, they'll have five on the roster, and maybe one of those actual tailbacks is inactive each week, depending on how things play out in the opponent that they're playing against, whatever the game plan is. But I certainly expect we're going to see very similar allocation of roster spots to the running back positions we've seen throughout the Pete Carroll era, especially with the injuries and the attrition at that position as always you can follow me on twitter corbin smith nfl special thanks to all the 12s out there for dishing out your questions on social media as well as youtube you can follow locked on seahawks on youtube make sure to subscribe and follow on other podcast platforms as well to make sure you don't miss a single episode coming up tomorrow on blue friday Nick Lee and Dallas Cooper will be joining forces, breaking down Seattle's second-round picks, where they fit in in a jam-packed Blue Friday episode. Hope you'll be listening in. Thanks for tuning into the Thursday show. Go Hawks.